Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. So, as you go through life, all of us, in one way or another, want to be better people. We want to move forward. We want to grow spiritually. We want to be healthier. We want to maybe be more financially secure. We want to have better, happier relationships. And we want to move forward. But if we're honest, we all struggle with things that keep us from moving forward. We hit these roadblocks. And for many of us, the roadblocks look like people outside of us. If my husband would just would be better, then we would have a better marriage. If he just would pay more attention to me, if he was just more gentle, if he would just listen and not be selective in his hearing, but just you know, would listen, then we would have a better marriage. If, if, if my wife would just appreciate me, then I wouldn't struggle morally like I do on the internet. If, if my boss would just pay me more, then financially I would be better off. If, if, if my parents hadn't neglected me like they did, if they hadn't abused me, if they hadn't hurt me the way they did, then, then I would be more secure and confident inside and able to face life instead of always being afraid. If I, if I just had the people around me behaving better, doing better, acting better, if they would just get right, then things would be so much better for me. I remember uh, when we lived down in Carroll County, I was walking through my neighborhood one day and, and uh, the wife of uh, and a, a couple that were neighbors was driving by. She slowed down and she approached me and she rolled down the window. And I knew that this couple, you know, they had already said that they were struggling with their marriage, that, you know, things were really difficult and painful there and they weren't getting along with each other and they were thinking about getting a divorce and sadly they wound up doing that. But this was before all that took place and as she rolls down the window and we're kind of just making some small talk there along the side of the road and she says, really, my husband, he just got to get fixed. And I kept thinking, I hope you're not taking him to the vet. I just don't, please not that, please not that. And I understood what she was really saying though. It's all my husband's fault. If he just would be home more, if he just would control his temper, if he would stop drinking, if he would do this or that, then, then we would have a happy marriage. And yet I knew from the husband that it was, if my wife would just get fixed, then we would have a happy marriage too. It's easy to blame the other for the problems going on at home. It's easy to blame other people for the things that we struggle with. And the thing is, is that when you look in scripture, and when you listen to the words of Jesus, it's painfully obvious that it's not always other people's fault. Oh, they may do things that hurt us, tempt us, have wounded us, traumatized us in some way. Certainly, we're not excusing anything that they did. But it's important to understand that all of us choose to respond to the situations around us, the circumstances we've gone through, the relationships that we have, and it's how we respond to those things that often make us the people that we are. It shapes who we are. It molds our character, the circumstances that we go through. In fact, if you're going to get unstuck, you've got to be willing to look inside. You have to be willing to look inside. 
Now, we've talked about some other steps to get unstuck since the first of the year. We've been looking at this concept of moving forward and making spiritual progress, reaching spiritual goals in our lives. And we've talked about that the first thing that we've got to do is just stop denying that there's a problem. Stop denying that you're stuck. And we've tried to look at the scriptures where we're just finally honest and admitting that there's a problem and I desperately need help instead of trying to hide it, instead of living in the shadows in the dark, in the dark, but actually admitting, no, I have a problem and being willing to step out of the darkness into the light and saying, Lord, can you help me with this? Last week, we looked at the concept of I need to surrender to hope. I need to surrender to the fact that there's a God who exists, who thinks I matter, who cares deeply about me, and that he has the power to help me change. He has the power to help me get rid of the bad things in my life and start doing the good things. He, he can help me change. And, and not only that, if I surrender to him and yield to his will and his control in my life, change will begin to happen in my life if I'm willing to surrender to that hope and put my trust in Christ and follow him. But you know, when we do that, we acknowledge that there's something going on under the surface. And we have to be willing to face that squarely and deal with it. Or there'll never ever be any positive change and getting unstuck and there'll be no forward progress because we're not dealing with the stuff that's dragging us down. Some of us are wondering, how come I'm living my life and it feels like when I press on the accelerator, I wanna move forward, I still am going so slow. We've got the emergency brake on. We've got the spiritual emergency break on because we're not dealing with the things in our past that are holding us back. We're not taking a look inside. And truth be told, we're scared to look inside. It's so much easier to point at other people and say it's their fault. If he just would get his act together, then I would be okay. If she would get fixed, then I would finally have a happy marriage. I would be able to overcome this bad habit. I'd have a better way of thinking and not be so anxious and afraid. If they just would change. And it's easy to point the finger at them when Jesus says, no, hold the mirror up and look inside yourself. See what's inside of you. Make a deliberate, honest, careful evaluation. Take an inventory of your own life and see what's on the inside. And then work with that when you face reality of what's going on inside. So we want to look at a passage of Scripture that we hear Jesus saying, you've got to look inside first. And, and we're going to hear him say that it's safe to look inside, okay, as we look at the scripture and look at the bigger context of that scripture as well. And so I'd like to invite you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we're just going to look at verses 1 to 6. And this is probably the most famous Bible verse in our culture today. This verse is probably quoted more often than even John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It's the famous verse that says, judge not, lest you be judged. Exactly. Some of you heard that this week. Some of you said that this week when somebody was calling you out and challenging you. Judge not, lest you be judged. That's such a famous verse in our culture today because we don't like it when people judge us. And none of us do. None of us like it when we're called out and told we're wrong. And yet Jesus is challenging his followers to be very careful that they're not judgmental and condemning others. Now just to set the scene real quick before we read the passage, this is near the end of the famous sermon, the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached, the, the Sermon on the Mount. 
And as, as he's concluding the sermon, he's actually kind of summarizing things he said in chapter five and things he said in chapter six. In chapter five, he's talking about you've gotta have a righteousness that is a true heart righteousness, not just surfacy behavior issues that the religious leaders of the culture were doing. You've gotta get below the surface. So it's not enough to say, I'm, I don't commit murder, I, therefore I'm a good person. No, you've gotta deal with the anger that's underneath all that. And it's not good enough to just say, I don't ever commit adultery. No, you've gotta get lower and say, I, don't, I deal with the lust that's in my heart as well. And so it's relational things that you see in chapter five and living a life that really honors God relationally. In chapter six, the focus shifts a little bit and it's more about your relationship with God and how do you really pray and how do you really give and how do you really fast and how do you really trust God when you're feeling very anxious in the world that we live in? Will God really provide? And how do I center my life around Christ? So chapter five is the relationships chapter with people and chapter six is relationships relationships with God. You get to chapter 7 and you see the two things being dealt with again. And in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 7, Jesus is dealing with the fact that you're not supposed to take revenge. You're supposed to love your enemies. And you're supposed to be kind and forgiving toward others as well, which he's already said. And in all of this, you honor Christ and you're showing that you're really committed to being a follower of Jesus. You're a citizen of his kingdom, a member of his family. And you're living your life under that good news that Jesus is the king and he's ruling over you. So that's the, the background to this command in verse one of chapter seven because this is not just some little unusual, obscure little tidbit of uh, morals and ethics that Jesus is throwing out. It fits in with the story. Because the thing is, all of us have things that we need to see on the inside and deal with, but we're often distracted by blaming other people or trying to run around helping other people who maybe don't want our help. And what Jesus wants us to focus on is the fact that there's something inside that I need to deal with and it's safe to look inside. So listen to God's word. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is God's word. Now in this passage, Jesus is giving a very serious warning and he's telling his people that are listening to him, do not Set yourself up as a judge, judging and condemning and executing the people that are around you. You do not have that right to act as their judge. Why? Because we already have a judge. There's somebody that's going to judge all of us and we're all accountable to him. So do not set yourself up in God's place who is the judge of all the people. You don't have the right to judge other people. 
And then he gives a very practical reason why we must stop judging others because you will be judged in the process. In fact, if you're harsh and condemning and judging other people, that's exactly how they're going to judge you. That's what he's saying in verse 2. The, the way you judge others, that's how you're going to be judged. If you're harsh, you're cruel, you're unreasonable, you're not compassionate and sympathetic and merciful to them, they're going to treat you with the same kind of harshness and cruelty and reasonableness and lack of mercy that you have shown to them. That's how they're going to judge you. And besides that, whatever you have measured out to them, it's going to be ladled back and spooned out and shoveled onto you as well. It's going to be the same kind of judgment that you'll receive. Now the thing is though, as we listen to what Jesus is saying here in verse 1 and verse 2 as well, we kind of react a little bit and we say, now wait a minute, is Jesus saying if we're not supposed to judge others, does that mean that we don't have judges and courts and laws? Is it just supposed to be anarchy and lawlessness in our world? And the answer is no, of course not. It's not that. Of course we need judges. Of course we need justices. We need that because there are laws that have been established so that the whole of society can cooperate with one another and get along with each other. So we need judges to enforce that and interpret the law. So he's not anti-judge. He's not anti-legal codes either and rules and regulations. Or is he saying that, you know, we just need to tolerate each other and show some tolerance and, and not get after a, a brother or sister in Christ who's maybe doing that's something that's sinful and maybe something that will hurt themselves or hurt others or offend God? Am I, am, I, am I right to speak up? Or maybe I just need to keep silent about that as well. Maybe that's what he means by not judging. And the answer to that is that's not true either. In Matthew's gospel, when you get to chapter 18... A little bit later in the book, you see very clear, clearly that Jesus is saying, no, if you're worshiping and you see that a brother or a sister has something against you or you have something against them, you need to stop what you're doing and go reconcile with them. You need to go and tell them their fault if they've done something to hurt you. And you need to make things right. And if they're not willing to listen to you, then you take a friend for accountability to make sure that you're really being accurate in what you're sharing and that the other person hears what's going on. And if he's not willing to listen to both of you, then you tell it to the entire church. But the goal is to restore them, not condemn them. You may need to call them out but it's for the purpose of restoring them back into fellowship with God and not allowing them to stay hardened and trapped in their sin. So he's not talking about no courts and no judges, and he's not saying that the church shouldn't help Christians live a life that truly honors God. We're supposed to do those kinds of things. So what he is saying, though, is that we should not view ourselves as being superior to others and judge them for it. You're not as good as I am. I had a pastor friend who told his church last week when they were ex he was excited, they were all excited, we've come to church, the few, the proud, the true members of Christ. You know, here we are, we're at church. And he said, you can't be proud of that. <laughs> You're here for the wrong reasons if that's the case. Don't boast in your accomplishments. Don't boast in your success spiritually. Don't boast in your fruit. Don't boast in how long you've been saved. Don't boast that you're not trapped in the sinful habits and hang-ups and hurts that other people have. That's not anything to take pride in. And yet so often we think, well, 
I don't do those sinful things like those people that do that to go to AA or celebrate recovery or, you know, don't live in that country like where Stephanie's going where all those people are Muslims. They're, they're heathen. I'm, I'm not like that. I know the truth. I believe God's word. And yet we do that to each other. I've got my act together and I can view myself as being superior to others and look down upon and judge and condemn them because they're not as good as me. Now can I just ask this question? Why do we do that? Why do we judge others? Why do we view ourselves as being superior to others? Why do we tend to look down on others and condemn them? Why do we do that? I mean, we all do it one way or another. I'll, let me put it this way. I won't say you do it. I do it. Why? But why? Why do we do it? Because we're often hiding something. We're hiding what's going on inside. We're hiding our own failures. We're hiding our own hurts. We're hiding our own weaknesses and sin. We're hiding all of that, all the stuff that we've messed up at, all the things that have happened to us, and we don't want to bring it out in the open and deal with it. And it's just easier to deflect and dodge any close examination of what's going on inside by blaming somebody else and judging them. That's what happens in our lives. And so that's why Jesus, I believe, one of the reasons why He then says in verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log in your own eye? So I brought my log today. It's always good to have one with you in case you never know. You might have to start a campfire if the power goes out or something like that. But you, can, you, can you see this? I mean, this is just really ridiculous. Okay, so the one guy, he's got the little speck of sawdust, this little tiny here. I've got a little tiny splinter. That's what Jesus is talking about there. A little splinter. And it's stuck in his eye. Now, you know, if you get something like that in your eye, it hurts like the dickens. You, you've had that happen. Okay, you've gotten some kind of dirt, some kind of speck in your eye. And so you feel it, you see it, you want to wash it out. You're trying to get it out. You're asking, can you look in there and see if you can get that out? And, you know, just kind of that kind of stuff. And so we're, we're, we're doing that. If you don't get rid of that, that speck, that splinter, that piece of sawdust that's in your eye, it could, it could scratch your eye. It could infect your eye. You could lose your sight if you don't deal with it, let alone it being terribly uncomfortable and painful. You could lose your sight. So the speck in the eye is a serious thing. It's a big deal. You've got to deal with it. But Jesus is trying to say, you're worried about that other guy's speck, but you forget that you've got a giant log sickening in your eye. And you're going through life, and you're saying, Wally, Wally, I can tell you've got a speck in your eye. I want to help you. So I can see clearly, and I, I, I know I'm going to, I'm going to be able to help you get that speck out of your eye. Now, the people in Jesus' crowd, as they're listening to him tell this story, and Jesus is using a figure of speech that's called a hyperbole. He's consciously exaggerating, and it's hilarious. I mean, you and I are laughing. You're laughing at, you know, because we're, we're literalists here, so, you know, here I am with my log in my eye. And you're, you're just thinking that's a hoot, and it is. But the people in Jesus' crowd, as they're listening to him, and he's telling the story. Here's the guy with the speck of sawdust. Everybody can identify with that. But here's the guy who's got the giant log in his eye. And everybody's going, ha, listen to that. And they're, they're busting out in grins. They're not nudging each other. They're laughing about it. They would think that this is absolutely hilarious because that's the culture that they live in. These conscious exaggerations that are just so ridiculous. 
And that's what Jesus' point is. It's absolutely ridiculous that you and I would try to help somebody else with the speck in their eye while we've got the giant log in ours. And the thing that makes this story even more ridiculous is the word that Jesus uses there for log. He's not talking about a chunk of firewood that you can just throw in the fireplace or a campfire. A little tiny manageable kind of log. And this is my convenient portable log here, you know, for on the go. It's, It's not that at all. He's talking about if you can imagine a house and you go up the walls and across the wall spanning the length of the ceiling, you've got a a, a timber, a beam that's supporting the roof, which would be like a patio, you know, that you could walk on. And, And here are these beams going across, suspended between the two walls, just holding the roof up. It's like a roof truss, a floor joist, an exposed beam in somebody's house. That's what he's talking about. Not a little tiny manageable log, but this big thing that would probably take four or five guys to try to carry. And he's saying, you've got a log like that in your eye. Nobody walks around like that. But Jesus is saying, oh yes, they do. Oh yes, they do because it's their own sin. It's their own thing on the inside. And, and so he goes even further and just kind of drawing it out even more. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye <laughs> when there's a log in yours? So it's, it's, it's bad enough that I go through life and I've got this log jutting out of my eye, big and long, and I'm struggling to try to walk through life with it in there. And, and I'm trying, you know, I don't even notice that the log is there but all I can see is the fact that somebody else has got a speck. Oh, they've got a speck. Look, look at his speck. That's a horrible speck. God's going to judge you for that speck. You better let me help you take it out. What Jesus is simply saying is, is that it's easier to focus on others and judge them and condemn them for their sins than deal with the sin in my own life. I want you to think about this, though. The reason why we judge others is because we're afraid to confront what's on the inside. We're afraid to deal with the sin. We're afraid to pull our log out. But as you look at the scope of Scripture, it's safe to take your log out. It's safe to look inside. Why? How can you say that? I mean, it's risky to admit that I've got sin. It's, it's risky to ask other people to help. Maybe they'll make fun of me. Maybe they'll ridicule me. Look, they already know you have a log in your eye. You can't hide it. Why not admit it? Well, why is it safe to do that? Because the one who could judge you and should judge you and will judge you and everyone else, that judge took your judgment for you. Jesus is the one who can judge all of us. He is the one who has the right to hold us to a perfect standard that we all fall short of. He is the one who holds us accountable to do the will of God that we mess up doing. He is the one who says, I know you've got a log in your eye. He's the one saying that right here. He is the perfect judge and he is calling all of us to take the log out. 
He wants us to know that it's safe to do that because He, our judge, was judged for us. He was judged by the religious leaders and rejected by them. Jesus was judged by Pontius Pilate and condemned by him. He was judged by King Herod and condemned by him. He was even judged by his own followers and they rejected him, running away from him. And he was sentenced to death unjustly and went to the cross and was nailed to the cross and he died executed for crimes against the state that he had never committed. Suffering capital punishment, Roman style. And as he was nailed to that cross and as he hung and bled and died there, the judge of all the universe was being judged for you and for me. And because he died, he suffered the judgment of the holy wrath of God in our behalf for us. We now are free. It now is safe for us to pull the logs out of our eyes. I mean, think about it. The holy God could condemn us for our sins. And I've sinned, you've sinned, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And yet now we can pull that log out because it's, it's safe. We're forgiven. He no longer holds it against us that we've got a log in our eye. He no longer condemns us for having a log in our eye. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8 says. No condemnation whatsoever. Why? Because he was condemned for us. He died for us so that we could be forgiven. And see, the thing is, is that if we're honest, we know we have logs in our eyes. We just try to hide them. We try to cover them up. We think no one will notice them, but everybody notices them. God certainly sees them. And he says, let me help you take that log out. I forgive you. It's, it's no longer an issue between you and me, but let me help you take that log out. See, that's another reason why it's safe to pull the log out, why it's safe to look inside and deal with the sin, the problems, the hang-ups of our own lives. It's safe to do it simply because we are not only forgiven, but we are now empowered to deal with it. God's own Spirit, His Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside of us to help us be transformed, to change us from the inside out. He has come to do that. So we're not just struggling by ourselves. How in the world do I get this giant log out? Oh, I can't get it out. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can be changed. I can be transformed. I can be renewed and renovated by the power. I can be transformed by Christ. He's an expert in pulling the logs out and healing up the eye. He can even keep new logs from getting put back in because we're prone to do that. I got one log out. Well, well here's another one. No. I can pull them out once and for all. And not only does He forgive us, and not only does He empower us, but He gives us the security of His love that never ends. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness 
The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We are safe and secure in the eyes of God and therefore we can pull that log out. We can deal with the things that we see in our hearts, that we see on the inside and he can change us. Why? Because the judge who is judging us was judged for us. So now it's safe to look inside. We're forgiven. We're empowered. We're secure. We can really deal with the mess we see inside. We can deal with that log. And the trouble is, as we go through life thinking, this log is normal. I don't have a problem with my log. What's wrong with you? Don't, my log, your log, who, who cares? It's okay. I can, I, this is just me. This is how I go through life. This is normal. It's not normal. It's not normal to have a log sticking out of your eye. It's not normal to keep enslaved to a sinful habit. It's not normal to be traumatized by the hurts of the past and live under the cloud and the pressure of those wounds. It's not normal to have a way of thinking, a hang-up, a, a mental attitude, whether it's anxiety or depression or bitterness or whatever it might be. It's not normal to keep functioning through life with all that weighing you down, to have that emergency brake pulled and set while you're trying to accelerate out on the interstate. That's not normal. Now, again, if somebody has wounded you, wounded you, abused you, harmed you, bullied you sometime in your past, that's not your fault. Let me be clear, that is not your fault. They did that to you, those wicked people. But what you do in light of it, how you respond to that, what you do with that, that is on you and on me. What will we do with it? And so the challenge for us is to pull that log out. And because Jesus, our judge, was judged for us, it's safe to pull that log out. Now what does it mean to pull the log out? What does, it, what does it look like? And the only thing I can tell you is a little bit about my own story and just some things God's doing in me. And so I remember, uh, oh... This was even before I was really getting involved in the church ministry, nearly 30-some years ago, 35, 37 years ago. A Christian friend challenged me. He says, why don't we get together and admit our faults to each other and pray for each other that God would work in our lives and help us be godly men and better husbands and, and do that. And I remember looking at my friend, this is my dearest, best friend, I remember looking at him and saying, under my breath to myself, I will never confess my faults to you. I will never do that. I kind of made a vow. I was so prideful. Well, about 15 years after that conversation, Dawn called me out on something that I was doing that was really wrong and bad, and I was crushed. Something that I thought that I was dealing with by myself, a log that I thought I was taking care of, I thought I was handling it okay, and I was not. And when she found out, she said, what are you going to do about that? It'll destroy everything in your life if you don't correct this problem. And she was right. I ate a big slice of humble pie that day. I grabbed the phone, cordless phone. I went out into our garage. 
And I called my friend up who 15 years earlier said, let's confess our faults to each other. And I said, I'll never do that. And I called him up and saying, hey, you remember when we had that conversation and you said I could confess my faults to you and you'd confess yours to me? I need to do that. I feel like I'm bleeding to death. I'm hemorrhaging. Can we get together and talk about it? And we met that week at uh, the Golden Arches in Emmitsburg, halfway between our two homes. And as I told him what I was struggling with, he proceeded to tell me what he was struggling with, and we were struggling with the same issues. And I remember thinking, for 15 years, we could have been helping each other, and my pride stood in the way. And I didn't help him, and he couldn't help me. What a fool, Scott, you were. What a fool. So that kind of brings things out in the open, and there's a, there's a great relief when you finally admitted to someone that you trust that you're struggling with something. There's a great joy, a great relief that comes, but that doesn't really solve the problem. That doesn't pull the log out. That's just saying, I admit, I've got a big old log. Here's my log right here, which is great. It's important to humble yourself and admit that, but that doesn't pull the log out, does it? No, it doesn't. Life goes on, trying to deal with these issues in my life. Lust, anger. Somebody said, you're not an angry person. I didn't think you were angry. I was so angry one time, just a year or so ago, Dawn and I had had a very stressful, tense conversation about some issues that we needed to work through, like every married couple does. And we had gone to visit her mother, who was in a nursing home after having a debilitating stroke. And, and I'm under pressure because it's Saturday night, and I've got a week's worth of studying to cram into like two hours. And I'm under the gun, under the pressure, trying to do that. And we walk into the house, and there's a recorded message on the answering machine. It's from a telemarketer for a political campaign that I did not agree with. And I cursed at it. I swore. I asked that God would send him to hell. And Dawn looked at me, and as soon as the words had come out of my mouth, I remember thinking, what am I saying? Why are you so angry? Why are you enslaved to this? We visited a counselor a while back, and uh, we did it for a tune-up in our marriage to, you know, not that there were any problems, but just, you know, you need to tune up and you need to check in and you need to work through some things and every couple should probably do that. And as we were talking with them, part of the process was, well, you know, what are the things that could be better in your marriage and in your life? And I was to list some and she was to list some and we were doing that and then we compared our lists and they actually drew a picture of a tree and here were all the little pieces of rotten fruit that we had put up on our tree. And then the counselor very wisely said something that's very obvious and clear in Scripture. Is that, you know what, you can cut those branches and chop off that rotten fruit, but that tree will keep growing that fruit if you don't deal with the poisonous roots. You can chop the fruit, but you'll keep getting that fruit if you don't deal with the root. And... I've studied the Bible. I went to Bible college. I have devotions. I do all that kind of stuff. But that was like a train hitting me. And thinking about how reckless it is, how we focus so much on just the surfacey stuff, how we blame other people, how we think that if I just dealt with this problem that's out here on the surface, I'd, I'm okay as long as I manage my logs that are there. 
instead of dealing with really what's on the inside that brought that log in the first place, that made that splinter grow into a log. When we started to celebrate recovery ministry here at the chapel, I decided I need to go. One, because I'm an angry man. Two, because I've got other things I struggle with. And I need to deal with that. I was scared to death to admit that I had these problems. In the process of going through the steps of recovery and looking at these principles and thinking about the things that we're talking about, one of the things that they urge you to do is you need to do a moral inventory. You need to actually take a deliberate, intentional look inside yourself. It's safe to look inside, but you still got to look inside. And it's not just that a curse word came out or this bad habit or this action took place and those are wrong and we need to manage those, but what's inside? What is driving this? What's at the root? And the only way to really confront that is to take a sheet of paper and ask a series of very probing questions and prayerfully, quietly, calmly just start writing down some of the answers. So who are the people that hurt me in my life? Who are the people I have hurt in life? What are the consequences of the choices that I have made, that they have made? What are, what are the, what's the damage? What's the effect? What's my responsibility? And I, start, I started doing that. In fact, I met with a pastor friend of mine, and he agreed to kind of work with me through this, and I wrote it down. I'm going to show you my moral inventory, but thankfully you're 30 feet away, so you can't read it. But I started writing this stuff down. I started answering those questions and, I, and it was embarrassing and it was, it was hard and, and I hadn't thought about some of this stuff for 50 years. I know I don't look that old. <laughs> but as we sat in a Sunday school classroom with my pastor friend eating our breakfast sandwiches and drinking our fast food coffee, I read to him what I had written, and we talked about it. And he read to me what he had written, and we talked about it, and we prayed together. And all the problems weren't solved that day, and all the logs weren't taken out, but the process began. You see, it's when we evaluate where we're at, when we look inside and we realize it's safe to look inside and we start looking inside and we start seeing what has happened, but then also what is it that's driving this to occur in our lives? What's at the root of the problem? As we start doing that, we can start dealing with it. I'm really grateful that over this last year in particular, especially in this area of anger in my life, God is, is helping me. In fact, two, three weeks ago, Dawn and I were having a discussion and it was kind of like borderline getting heated. You know, I know you guys never have that in your marriages, but you know, that, that's, you're not quite seeing things from the same angle, the same perspective and all of that. And it was, you know, I was finding myself, I'm getting impatient and this is unreasonable. And I, you know, and I, and, and I think she was kind of getting irked at me a little bit and, and, but just stayed calm. Lord, you're present. You're saying something to me. Help me listen. Help me not defend myself. Help me hear what you're saying through this. You're here with me. I'm safe. I'm secure. It's okay. Help me learn from this instead of reacting to it. And what could have been in the past a very tense, maybe even argument, tense situation, 
was actually very calm, quiet. She even said to me later, you were really calm. Thank you for being so gentle. Wow. God, you're doing a change in my life. Thank you. It ain't easy. And tomorrow I'll probably fall flat on my face. But the point I'm trying to say is is that you can take the log out. But you can't do it by yourself. You need others to help you. But ultimately, ultimately, you need the Lord to help you. And you can get that help. It is safe to look inside and deal with a log. Why? He's forgiven you. And you're secure in His love. And He gives you His power to change. And see, the beauty of it is, He says in verse 5, you hypocrite. And see, if we don't deal with the fact that we've got a log, if we're not willing to let His love help us change and pull it out and correct the problem, if we don't do that, then we indeed are hypocrites. You take the log first out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And this is what's so critically important. You've got to pull that log out because as long as the log is there, you're thinking, well, I still could see with one eye. But you can't see depth, you can't see accurately, and you'll get blindsided. You've got to pull that log out. And it's when you pull the log out, when the log is no longer inside the eye, when you look inside and you start dealing with the things at the root of your life, as you start to do that, then the change can occur. And then you see clearly, and then you begin to see people as they really are instead of you coloring them and, and, and imagining them and blaming them and, and, and even condemning them. You'll begin to see them accurately. And not only will you see them accurately, but you'll see yourself accurately that you are loved by God and you have a, God has a plan for your life. And you'll see life clearly that not, everybody's not against you and they're not out to get you that God is actually working through all these circumstances. You'll see it clearly and you'll see that life is good. That God's in control. That God's at work and he's working in you. And you'll see the life that really satisfies. You see, we say we have that, but we've got a giant log in eye and we're not willing to deal with it. And the world looks at us and says we're hypocrites. And Jesus is saying you're a hypocrite because you think you see clearly when you don't because there's a log in your eye. I mean, I don't know, did you hear about the, the March for Life on Friday down in Washington and there was a group of kids from a Christian school that were there. They were protesting for life and the unborn and they were doing all that. And then they saw some Native American elders that were singing and, and you know, just kind of doing their own prayers and songs and all of that. And these young people began taunting them and harassing them and mocking them and humiliating them. And it's, it's gone viral on Facebook and the news. You know, part of me looks at that and says, you know, they're just stupid young kids. I did stupid things too. But the thing that makes it sting is that they were there to support life, the worth and dignity of all people, and yet they were mocking and denying dignity to people who had paid a high price. The one elder they were mocking is a Vietnam veteran. Goes to Arlington Cemetery, puts flowers on the graves, leads in prayer does all these things. He fought for his country. He's done all that. And he's put up with all the abuse and harassment and exploitation that have come to the indigenous people in our country. 
And he was very gracious toward those young people that humiliated him. I would say he even forgave them. It's the hypocrisy that seems so full of stench, so vile. You say you're for life, but look how anti-life you really were there. You're for dignity of all people, but look at the dignity you withheld from that man and the mockery you and humiliation you gave him. You see, the thing is, Jesus says in verse 6, that maybe we're not condemning and judging others like those young people were doing there and the hypocrisy of that, but maybe there's another kind of hypocrisy. Because in verse 6, he warns, don't give your dogs what's holy and don't throw your pearls before the pigs. And in that culture, dogs were not man's best friend. They were considered scavengers and they were wild and you didn't bring them in as pets and they weren't domesticated. They didn't sit on your lap and, and cuddle with you. They were gross and ugly. They ate the garbage that was out in the street. The carcasses of the animals that had been killed. And pigs, well, you know, the Jewish people, they didn't have their bacon and egg sandwiches and they didn't like, you know, ham salad and things like that ham steak they didn't like pigs pigs were unclean and so I think what Jesus is trying to say here is it's not that they're people that are unworthy of receiving your good news and your help but rather they're people that are just that disgusting and so needy in your eyes that you want to help them and so this is like the opposite of judging and condemning somebody like in verses one and two this is like oh I want to help them I really want to give them something valuable. I want to give them my pearls. And pearls in the ancient world, the time of Jesus, pearls were more valuable than gemstones, more valuable than diamonds. The most priceless piece of jewelry would be pearls. And he's saying, when you take your pearls, don't throw them there in the barnyard in front of the pigs. Why? The pigs can't eat uh, pearls. They don't appreciate how beautiful they are. They don't want to wear it as a necklace. They'll just smush them down in the mud and the manure. And those dogs, you give them something holy, something special, and, and, and something that really is godlike to you, the good news, the, the change that's taken place in your life, the good news of Jesus dying for you. Since you take that and you give it to them, they don't appreciate it. In fact, they'll even turn and attack you and kill you, bite you. Really what you need to do is those dogs need to hear the gospel and so do those pigs. But maybe you need to stop first and listen to them and find out what they think they need and deal with that. Instead of assuming you know exactly what they need. It's another area of being superior. Not judging and condemning but thinking you're better than them and you've got the answer to their problems. You see, as long as we're focusing on I'm going to help this person and fix their problems because that'll make me feel good, I'll never deal with my own problems. As long as we're saying those bad people, I need to stand up and resist what they're doing and judge them because they're hurting themselves, they're hurting other people, they're offending God and God's going to judge them and I better judge them too. And as long as you're constantly focusing on other people, you'll never look inside and you'll never deal with the log in your own eye. And I want you to know it's safe to pull out that log. It's safe to look inside. You don't have to deflect it by trying to help others and deflect it by trying to judge others. You can deal with, you can look inside and deal with that log. Now, 
What does this mean for us as Christians? It means that you and I need to honestly admit that we've got a log and we need God's help in pulling it out. And so it's safe to do it. So let's go to him and let him change us. Maybe it means admitting this need to have help removing the log to some other Christians. Maybe it's some folks in your growth group that you trust. Or maybe it's coming on Friday night to celebrate recovery. Or maybe it's finding a prayer partner, someone you respect and love who loves you and you can trust. And just saying, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray with me about it? Could you help me? Maybe it's going and visiting a Christian counselor and asking them to help you work through it too. What does it mean if you're not a Christian? Well, it means that, you know what, there's a judge. (laughs) And while you point the finger and say, look at those Christians, those hypocrites, those kids, you know, they said they came from a Christian school and how they were mocking that. That's disgusting. They're hypocrites. You know what? I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites. We don't do, we don't live up to what we say we believe. We all fall short. And there is a judge who will judge all of us accurately. And yet that judge took the judgment for you. So now you can be forgiven and restored. And now you can change and not be a hypocrite anymore. I'm in the anti-hypocrite club. And I want to invite you to join. So that God can change us. And help us not be hypocrites anymore. And I think this affects us as a church family. It affects us in how we welcome and include others. You know, if I'm not willing to deal with my own log, if I'm not willing to take out and deal with and look inside and deal with the sin that I struggle with, then I'm always going to be pointing the finger at other people, either trying to help them recover or trying to fix them or judge them harshly, you know, negatively or positively. But if I'm willing to focus on the fact that I want God to work in me and change me, that leads to a humility and a gentleness that is winsome and welcoming. If we're honest and admitting that we're fellow strugglers, fellow sinners that are needing God's salvation every single day of our lives, then He will truly change us and we will not be judging others. And we will not be acting superior to others. Because the one who could judge us and will judge us has taken the judgment for us. And now we're forgiven and restored and empowered and secure in His love. So instead of judging, now we can be graciously seeking to restore them. Graciously seeking to serve them. Graciously seeking to bless them, even if they're our enemies. We can now do this. Friends, it's safe to look inside because of what Christ has done. I hope and pray that you will do that with me as well. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that you've given us this opportunity this morning to look into your word, to think about these things, to be honest and admitting that we desperately need your help to change. Lord, help us to see the logs that we have. We don't notice them. We think they're normal. We think that's just part of life to have a log like that. But in truth, we desperately need you to help us remove the log and change. Lord, may we humble ourselves and take that inventory and look inside our hearts and see what's there and just confront those things in our past. And then trust you and submit to all the changes you want to make in our lives. 
Father, thank you that it's safe to look inside because you're there with us and we're not alone. Praise you and thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.